I'm Piercy Janwell, and you're listening to Unsubscribed. Every episode, I sit down with business leaders to help you question everything you thought you knew about marketing. If you enjoy this show, please do subscribe and leave a review on YouTube or your favorite podcast player. Now, on to this week's episode. Today on the podcast, I've got Anne Hanley. Anne is a Wall Street Journal best-selling author, the chief content officer at Marketing Profs, and named by IBM as one of the seven people shaping modern marketing. She's the author of two of my favorite marketing books, Content Rules and Everybody Writes, and is just someone in general that I have learned a ton from. So Anne, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm delighted. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, I almost forgot my sign. I still have my sign right here. Of oh, you. I want to. Oh yeah, thank, like thank you, Paris. You know, I think you might have to become like you know a, a, an illustrator or something. <laughs> well, nice. you know, it's something I can always fall back on if the marketing thing doesn't work out. So yeah, exactly. I like it's good to have I mean, you know it's good to have a side hustle always. For sure. For sure. I mean, speaking of side hustles, you you have a lot going on at any given time. Like you're an author, yeah. a speaker, an entrepreneur, a mom. How do you balance Sharpie, all these Sharpie things? influencer. Yeah, Don't forget about Sharpie influencer. That. Sorry, I need to add that to the list. Yeah. How do you uh, how do you find the time? How do you allocate your time? Oh my lord! Um, how do I allocate my time? Um, first of all, I am I am a I adhere to my calendar and to a schedule. Almost, I'm, I mean, I'm obsessive about it. Um, I manage it very, very tightly. Now that said, I was also ten minutes late to this conversation today, so I feel a little sheepish saying this to you directly. Oh, no. But there good. were some extenuating circumstances, so. But for the most part, yeah, I time. I'm a big believer in time blocking. I try to maximize my day and match activities based to based on my own. This basically, you know, mental status, mental health. So, morning yeah. is almost exclusively for writing or creating. If I'm working on a new presentation, that's when I'll do it. Um, this time of day is just like just post lunch. Still have enough energy that I can be kind of coherent and kind of up on a, a situation like this. A podcast, I try to do afternoon webinars if I have a choice in the matter. Um, and then later evening is is uh, or or afternoon into evening, early evening um, is like things that require less of a taxing approach, right? Or or that tax me less. So, for example, you know, email, responding to email, phone calls, conversations. I'll have that just just can somewhat relaxed but also require less from me so that's in yeah. in broad strokes that's how i manage it so it's i'm very obsessed about my calendar keeping my calendar i have chunks of time blocked out um so that i can maximize my own productivity which makes me sound like a machine that's not what i mean it's more about how like that makes me happy like if i don't get my writing yeah, time yeah. in the morning i'm like it throws my whole day off and so that's why i'm obsessive about it so even though I'm using that sort of word like maximizing productivity, really what it is, is keeps me centered, keeps me happy, keeps me balanced, and it keeps me able to contribute at my best level to all the different parts of my life. That's awesome. So in a, in a week, like how much time would you say you block off 
just for those kind of like deep focus activities? Yeah, so every morning I get up and I write longhand in a journal, um, which is a new thing for me. Like I know there are many, many people who have that they've been doing that sort of practice for years and years. You know, Julia Cameron's morning pages was so influential with so many people that I know just in terms of, you know, you sit down, you write in the morning for, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever you can spare. I'm not, I, so, but for me, like journaling never really worked for me. It always seems sort of pointless because I thought, you know, what's, I don't, I don't, I don't get why, because I know what my, what happens, like, why do I have to document it in some way? Yep. But I, I switched my mindset and I started recording things that happened the day before stories, mm. funny events that happened. Like when I went to the post office and that guy said that thing and it was like ridiculous and I got into a little tussle over it. So what I'm doing there is sort of collecting stories from my life. And that's what I write down. And just that practice of, of recording things that happen does two things. First, it, it gives me, um, it sort of limbers me up for the day and it gets me into the writing, creating mode, number one. But number two, it makes me a more careful observer throughout my life. So I'm, I'm spending less time like, you know, kind of like looking at my phone and like if I'm waiting yeah. in the grocery store yeah. and more just like looking around and looking for those moments that I can maybe take something from. Some of those little small moments ultimately will make their way into my work, you know, my my um, my public work, right? So my talks that I give, my email newsletter, maybe a blog post, some of that will become framing for other things. But you know, sometimes not. But the reality is, it just kind of keeps me in that in that mindset, you know, focused, um, and it kind of gives me some momentum for my day. And so back to your original question. So that's about like I don't know. Sometimes it's just a few minutes if I have a busy morning. Sometimes it's um, it's more if I have if something interesting happened and I have the luxury of writing it down. But I would say for the I spend maybe two hours at the beginning of the day just you know on that focused creative work. Some days I'm more able to extend that time, but other times not. You know, so it depends on, yeah. on what else I have going on. But I try to I at the very minimum I try for two hours. That's awesome. So I know normally, you know, you're jet setting around the world, speaking <laughs> at different events. How have things changed for you over the past year? And, uh, you know, I, I'd love to hear how things have changed. And I, I know you you participated on our virtual events. Have you seen yeah. anything interesting over the past year on virtual events? How have they changed? Has there been anyone who's been doing it particularly well? Like, we'd love to hear mm -hmm. just your perspective on, on everything. Yeah, I mean, funny when you say, you know, you, you're usually jet setting, it makes it sound so glamorous, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah, business. You travel. know this as well as I <laughs> yeah. it's like, not glamorous. Um, yeah, I miss. Are, are you though. like? I am curious. Are you like me? Because before this, I I always kind of was like, oh, I gotta go on a trip again. But now I I miss it so much, which yeah. I never thought I would say that. Yeah, um, I miss people. I miss you know the and not necessarily. I mean, there's plenty of people I talk to on a regular basis, but there's something special about you know, being at a business event, being at a marketing event or, a, you know, some sort of networking opportunity that, you know, just, just like helps me connect dots much more effectively than I think, you know, otherwise. And so, yeah, you can do things like schedule calls or like, you know, have um, Zoom happy hours or whatever the case may be. 
Um, but it's snowing and there's like, it's pounding on my roof right now because I'm, this tiny house is under a, a copse of trees in the, in the back of my yard. And, um, yeah, so it's like, it sounds like there's like a, I don't know, like a, a bunch of horses running across my roof right now. <laughs> um, not distracting anyway. at all. Yeah, I don't know. No, not at all. So, um, yeah, is uh, so yeah, I miss that aspect of it. But the, the funny thing is, like, I spent the first six months, so we've been in, in this sort of pandemic, like no travel zone for just over a year now. In the first six months or so, I spent like, I spent a lot of time pining for those days. It's like, oh, virtual events, like they just take it all out of me there. You know, they're the yeah. same amount of work and none of the fun, you know, none fun, as I as I would say. Um, but it's, uh, I think, but then something t turned for me, like something sort of shifted within me. And I realized that I actually don't miss being at events all that much, you know, as much as I miss those sort of, uh, more moments of serendipity, like the hallway conversation, the, the, yeah. the conversation with somebody at a cocktail hour that does like connect the dots for me. I do miss that. Um, but I don't, like, I, I realized just how stressed I was and I was mm. constantly running. I was always, always on and that takes a toll on a person. And I realized that that was, I don't want to go back to that. Like I realized something important mm -hmm. for me that I, I'm not going to do that anymore. I mean, will I still travel? Yes, of course. Absolutely. But I think I'll be a lot more picky about where so I go and opportunities like yeah. yeah selective opportunities that i say yes to because i just you know i don't want to go back to that i like being yep. home i like being more centered i like um making my own day like as i just described to you i like time blocking my own day that all of that gets thrown out the window when mm -hmm. you like when you're, when i'm traveling and so yeah. just that opportunity i think is um so in some ways you know the silver lining has been that this has been a gift over the past year or so to sort of come to that realization you know for me personally um, but as to your your uh, your uh, question about events, yeah, I mean, I've done almost all of those in-person opportunities are now virtual opportunities, you know, like the one that we did this week together, um, which was fantastic. And I don't think that there's somebody who is like doing it better than anybody else in terms of like, you know, how they're producing an event. But I do think that there are elements that are very important to have as part of a virtual event. And the first one that I would say, and this is actually what we did at on your event this week, the um, the email newsletter event that we did together, which was have a live chat. Like I think there's nothing that'll yeah. replicate in person, but not having that live chat makes it feel very isolating and very dead. And mm -hmm. just having that, you know, list of people who are there chiming in, you know, right at the beginning, we say like, you know, like so, marketing pros um, runs an event. We we run a a virtual event. Um, we're how we'll have two this year. Well, we just had one two weeks ago, uh, in April, and then we'll have a second one in October of this year. And so we've learned what works and what doesn't. And, and a, a critical, critical component, and I cannot emphasize this enough is you've got to have that live chat. When I do events that don't have live chat, it feels isolating to me as a speaker. It feels very isolating to everybody in the audience. Um, mm -hmm. and so when we run it for marketing props, we say, Hey, like, you know, welcome everyone introduce yourselves, just say like where you're tuning in from. And just that simple ask alone, just getting people sort of saying, hi, yeah. you know, this is uh, Brunhilde. I'm coming from uh, Dubuque today. And it's like, hey, Brunhilde, like, you know, I just think it makes a big difference um, in terms of, of getting people involved in the conversation. I don't think that the event itself has to be live. The way we do it at Marketing Profs is we do pre-recorded presentations. 
So okay. if you are, you know, if you're, if you're presenting at our event, you pre-record, you, you know, submit that as a, uh, as an MP4 to us. But the difference is, and we only do that because we, because it's a, it's a big event, right? It's not just one webinar with one or two speakers. It's, you know, 60 speakers over two days. And so there's too many moving parts if you try to do all of that live. And so the way that we do it is we have people pre, we have speakers pre-record, but then when, you know, that their session is a, at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday, that speaker is there live. And so we turn on the cameras at the beginning, 100% live, the speaker and the moderator are like, okay, so, you know, here we have Pierce, he's here, he's going to talk about, you know, email deliverability. If you have questions for him, drop them into the chat. And then we turn off cameras, we play Pierce's session. Um, and then what happens is Pierce is in the chat, like interacting, it becomes like a live watch party. Mm-hmm. Whatever questions yeah. you wouldn't, you or the speaker wouldn't answer in the chat, we then turn on the cameras at the end and the moderator will, you know, sort of field whatever questions are left. And the reason why we do that is that we found it's a really nice way of creating this sort of um, this sort of environment, right? This sort of experience as opposed to people just sitting there and is this live? Is this not live? You know, it's like, so, um, and also just, yeah. Yeah. So that's the way we do it. And again, like, I don't think you need to go to that degree. If it's a, if it's just like a one-off webinar, you can do it live. And you know, if it's, if it's fairly, you know, if you're, if you're sure of the, of the connection, if you're, if you've worked with the speaker, like there's a million things that it's, it's okay to take a few of those risks. But I think if it's, um, like a, a big a big event like the one that we do, you know, about, you know, yeah. thousand fifteen hundred attendees and like sixty speakers. You want to control as much as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. Um, and then I'll just add one more thing, and then I'll shut up. But uh, about virtual events, because I have a lot to say about virtual events. But I think including those elements of surprise is really important. You know, that's like that's when I started doing this, like my analog PowerPoint. Because I wanted like this is this is one to one right here right there's just two people mm-hmm. as opposed to like when you're at an event where you're one speaking to an entire ballroom or an entire you you know auditorium depending on on the venue right so there's, it's one to many but in a virtual environment it is very much one to one so think about how can you actually improve the experience of that one person on the other side of the camera. You know, how do you actually speak to them directly? And that's what I came up with this because it's just, it's, it's a much more intimate experience, right? You're just, you're looking mm-hmm. at me, I'm coming at you in your home office or, you know, wherever it is that you're accessing the content. And so that space between me and the camera is, is so much shorter. It's so much more compressed. And so I think that if you can create intimacy, number one and number two, so rethink the, how the, rethink the deliverability. And number two, like, just think about moments of surprise, you know? So like, that's how this came up. This is like surprising to people because it's so simple, but yet it's unexpected, you know? So. Yeah. Uh, I, amazing tips. I I have never seen the chat blow up on one of our events. Like the one we did this week, like people mm. just were so engaged um and I, I i think you know a lot of that is for sure due to your following and your fans and just you know you're pretty good at this public speaking thing and um <laughs> is that like is that something you were born with or or is that something you practiced and honed in on over time no 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 not not born with at all um no in fact 
you know, I didn't start speaking publicly until my first book came out, which was, geez, when was that? 2010. So 11 years ago, here it is 2021. Um, So yeah, I didn't really start speaking publicly until then. And the reason I didn't is because I never craved to be on stage. You know, so many speakers have backgrounds in the theater and they were all like, they were the ham growing up in their family. It's like, that was not me. Like I was the kid that company would come over and I'd go hide under my bed. Cause it's like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I was like extremely introverted, like almost mm-hmm. pathologically introverted. Um, and so I just, I never craved like that kind of attention. Why did I start speaking is because, you know, the truth of any, uh, of any, any book, but especially a business book is that, you know, you think you're an author? Well, you can rest on those laurels for about 10 seconds because like, baby, you're in sales. Like get out there and sell that book, you know? <laughs> and so the reason yeah. I had to start, you know, I, I kind of had to embrace that that um, public speaking opportunity was because I had a book to sell, bottom line. And um, and the more that I, I, I did it, it, like, I think if I, uh, I've talked about this before, but my first time on stage, it was at an exact target event. I don't, do you remember exact target? Oh yeah. Um, yep, yeah. Yep. So marketing club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ultimately. Right. They were, they were, um, yeah. Email, email provider. And, uh, I was at an exact target event. I was the keynote for their partner summit. And the fact that I was a keynote was just like hilarious to me because I was so inexperienced. It was literally maybe my first time like on stage. And I remember that I was like, like, you know, I'm behind the lectern, like the whole, like the gripping behind the lectern. And, uh, and I was just, um, you know, sort of trying to just chill out and relax. And I remember my heart was beating so loudly in my chest. Like I could hear it like, like in my ears that I thought, Oh my God, I am like having an aneurysm right here, like at this exact target partner summit. Um, and I didn't, it was, it was, you know, I ended up like cracking a few jokes and people laughed and I was like, Oh, okay. All right. You know, it was, yeah, it yeah. was, um, so it was the first, it, that was my first time. And I sort of improved from there. I got coaching, uh, first, just a, uh, a structure, like a coach who could help me structure a presentation, but I didn't even know how to do that. And then secondly, I got some, uh, stage training help that really helped me elevate my, um, you know, my speaking mm-hmm. presence on stage. And just getting comfortable, number one, but number two, sort of letting go, because I think a big piece of why I didn't speak when I think back on it now, wasn't just that I was, you know, shy or felt like I didn't have anything to say or didn't have a book. It was more about um, that I, I just, I prejudged myself, you know, and that I just, I worried so much about what people would think about me. You're very exposed, you know, when you're on a stage, you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. And evolutionarily, we're just we're 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 wired to not be separated from the herd, right? Not be separated from the crowd. And there's something very vulnerable about being on a stage just by yourself, um, and you know, sharing your thoughts and ideas. And so I had to get over that, and I had to get over that notion of feeling that other people were judging me and that I was judging myself. Um, and so all of those things, I think, ultimately led to my growth as a, as a speaker in. Now I, I really love it. I really enjoy it. Like I loved doing our event and seeing all those people in the chat and oh, I yeah. just wanted to hang out with everybody afterward. You know, it was so fun. <laughs> so if you had to like take us back on your mindset going into it before when you were first starting to now what your mindset is when you go on stage, like what is your mindset now as you go on there? Mm. Um. 
I've always been hyper-focused on the audience. And I, I think that's my journalism training. And I went to school for journalism. Journalism really set me up for a career in which I think about what does the audience truly need from me? What do they need to know? And so I think that's been uh, like, that was true when I did that exact target event. And it's absolutely true now. Um, I'm trying to think of what is my mindset? I mean, in terms of, of like what, like how do I prepare or just like, what is my internal? Yeah, like, what are you, are you, yeah, like your internal, like, are you like, I'm so, I'm excited now to be in front of all these people and get my message oh, yeah. out there, or, you know? Um, yeah, not really. Or is is mean, it just so like routine for you now that it's, you, you don't no. even really think about it much? No, no, not at all. I mean, every single time I, I feel like I could throw up before I, I go on stage. And I'm not exaggerating that. I literally feel that if I had an, op an option to like get on a bus and leave the world forever, I would. I don't want to, which is kind of weird. Even though once I'm on stage, I'm fine. Like I'm just like, oh, okay, I got this. We got this. We know, how, you know, we know what we're doing now. It's a fun presentation. It's got some crazy gifts in it. People are going to love it. Like I know that, but there's still that moment of like in a fight or flight scenario, I am a hundred percent flight where I'm like, I don't want to do this. I'm going to puke right now, you know? And that happens to me before I go on a physical stage and it happens to me before I, I start a webinar as well. I used to think that there was something wrong with me, but I realized that ultimately what that's rooted in is because I just, I want it to go so well and I care so much, <laughs> you know? And if it, and it, yeah. that, that alone, I'm so vested in it. It just makes me a little sick to my stomach, you know? So yeah. like I, I'm presenting well, you're next definitely, week. Yeah. <laughs> you're definitely not alone there. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah I think I, it's a very human response. Yeah. Like if I felt like if I said, you, oh yeah, it's old hat. Like I don't even, it's like nothing to me. I would question how much I actually cared about this, you know? So I think that yeah. when it's, when, when you are nervous or, you know, maybe not to the degree that I am, but when you're nervous or when you're feeling slightly like, you know, it's, you know, it's, uh, if I don't feel a little bit of fear about something, it tells me that I'm just sort of mm -hmm. not engaged emotionally yeah. how I should be. And if I didn't care, then I wouldn't, I don't think I would perform quite as well. Mm. Yeah, that's, thanks for sharing that. I hope that uh, it can help others out there who, you know, I, I will admit as well, I get nervous before. You know, I, I think of speaking at the Adobe Summit in front of like 600 people and channeling that to be like, it's okay to feel nervous and using it to be like, you care a lot and you want it to mm -hmm. go well and putting that energy towards that. Um, yeah, 100%. Yeah. But one thing I noticed in your presentation, so you had a hundred slides for a 40 yeah. minute speak up. <laughs> Is this, I'm sure, you know, there is, you do that intentionally. Is that just like people's attention spans are so short now that that's how you keep them engaged? Or is that just the only way you can get through all the thoughts that you want to? How do you yeah. approach like yeah. building a deck for your speak ups? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Um, I mean, First of all, one of the reasons why I was a terrible journalist, I, I was a terrible news journalist, I should say, is because I had too much detail. I had too many thoughts into every single news article that I did. I also approached it much more as a storyteller, right, which automatically is going to, in a newspaper, is going to take up more time, more column inches, and, you know, in the print edition, that kind of thing. Um, and so 
yes, like I do have a lot of slides because I am telling a story. Like I am, I am creating a, a sort of evolution, you know, of, of thoughts like that sort of one follows the other. Um, and so I want to make sure that I have all of those ideas in there. The funny thing is about that, that deck that, or that, that talk that I gave to your audience, that was like hundred slides, but I originally had 120. So I was actually very proud of myself for like lopping off what I thought was, you know, pretty significant piece of it. Um, and Lindsay, I know, said to me, it's like, I said, you know, basically how long do I have? And she said, and I said, this is about 45. And she's like, if you can do it in 40. And I was like, okay, 45. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, but the other piece of it is that I have come to realize that I think, especially in an environment, in, in a virtual environment, it's less true on stage. Like if I were with your audience live, it's less true. But if I were, but in a virtual setup, I think the quick flips, as I call them, like when I, when I go from one PowerPoint slide to the next, it definitely does keep people leaning forward a little bit more. Mm -hmm. the, the, the promise is different online versus in person because in person, you know, you're, you're there on stage, you can walk around, you can get people like, you know, you can interact with the audience a little bit more. But when you're on, when you're at a virtual event like this, like you're seeing me right here. And so the slides become much more important to creating momentum because I can't create that momentum just with my storytelling or with my body or with interacting with people in the audience, you know, like physically, I mean. And so, I, I, so that's why I, I have sort of given myself permission to use all of those slides. Um, but yeah, it's just my style. It really just is. There's like, I look at uh, speakers who, who speak for marketing pros, for example, some of them have like, 11 slides for a 20 minute talk. And I'm like, how do they do that? Like, how do they do that? I physically don't know how people do it. And I don't know. Is it a fault? Yeah. Is it a strength? I don't know. It's just my style. Well, it definitely keeps people engaged. So it's definitely working for you. Um, <laughs> I, I am curious, you know, as a professional public speaker, like what do you look for in the companies that you're looking to partner with and and you know for companies who are looking to partner with professional public speakers like what you know what do you look for when you get those requests hmm. yeah i look for a connection just you know first of all just the brand itself what they do what they sell do i believe in it number one so that's just kind of uh that's table stakes you know, if I don't believe in it at all, if they're harmful to the environment, to other people, then they're, or animals, like any of that, they're just sort of off the table for me. I would never, I would never partner with a company like that. Um, that's just, you know, my own, my own sort of uh, lens through which I look at things. So that's the first thing. But, you know, in our space, most of the time, that's not an issue. Um, but the second thing that I look for is just a connection so connection with the brand. Second thing is, um, is a connection with the people. If I don't, you know, I've, I've been in these situations where somebody has asked me to, you know, speak or partner with them in some way. And then I get on a call and I just like, I'm not feeling it. You know, it's like, mm, I don't think these people are going to be a good fit for me because they're not gonna, they're not going to get it, you know, um, yeah. then I, I typically will not. But, you know, honestly, I can count on one hand the number of times that I haven't felt that way. I can usually find some point of connectivity between me and the and the, the people who work at the company. So yeah. 
yeah, it's it hasn't it hasn't been a, a massive issue for me. I mean, I have a full time job at Marketing Prof, so I don't I don't do a lot of speaking on the side. So I do have to be kind of particular about the opportunities that I accept. So I'm not just you know, if you come to me, I'll take it. It's just, that's not the way it works. It's more about you know, do I believe in the company? Do I feel like I have a good connection with the principals there or the representatives? Um, and then the third piece, do I feel like I can add value? You know, sometimes I'm just not a good fit. And that's why I try to always do a, a pre or I always do a pre-planning call. Um, sometimes people are just looking for something that I can't provide. And then I can usually refer them to somebody who's a better fit than me. But if I can't provide value to your audience, if I don't think that what I am all about is ultimately not only going to help the event, but help the people in the audience of the event. And again, that's like the journalism approach, I think. It's not about making the conference organizer happy. It's about making the people who are in the audience happy. So if I don't think I can do that, then I just, you know, I won't, I won't take it. So yeah, those are my, th my three totally. points. Um, so I, I have been thinking about writing a book for a little while now, just mm. about things that I have learned um, in my time as starting two different companies. Hmm. And I would love, I, I did see in your newsletter, you wrote about this recently, but I am wondering, like, what are th some of the things that I, or if anyone out there is looking to write a book, what, what should people think about before they actually sit down to write the book? Like, what, what do they need to be maybe journaling or taking notes on so that when they go to sit down, they're like, oh, I, I should have been doing this for the last five <laughs> years to make sure I don't forget everything. Yeah, I think there's a few things. Um, I talked about this in my newsletter, but I'm a fan of writing the landing page that sells the book before you write the book itself. And the reason why I think that's so important, not to publish, by the way, just for your own, your own benefit, but the reason why I think it's so important is because it can help clarify for you what's in the book for the audience. So if you write the landing page, it crystallizes some ideas, the main point of why you're writing the book, the problem that it solves for readers. And then the third point being like, what, what's different about this book that is different about any other book on the market of a similar subject? So I'm a big fan of doing that. Now that may change. Like once you get into the writing, you may be like, oh, actually, but at least it gives you a starting point. And I can, mm -hmm. I do think it can help yeah. clarify the, the bigger idea around your book. So write the landing page first. The second thing is, I think it's important to publish some of the ideas in the book or the, the ideas that will eventually make it into the book in some sort of public format. So whether that's on your own blog, whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's on Medium, you know, I don't, I don't think it matters where you publish them, but just that you do publish them. And the reason why I think it's so important is because it helps you aerate some of the ideas. That's been enormously helpful to me for two reasons. First of all, just in getting those thoughts down and crystallizing them in my own head. But secondly, seeing how it lands in the market, you know, seeing how it lands with an audience and seeing how they interpret what I write is enormously helpful because sometimes what you think you're saying is not what other people are hearing. And so aerating some of the ideas early on can really help you find those blind spots so that you can fix them early. And it can help, I think, challenge you to make the book even better. Awesome. Those are 
Great tips. I, I love landing. I, I, I love, yeah, I, I can totally see that. I try and do that for any event we have too, like mm-hmm. write the landing page and then yeah. write the content also so that they're aligned. I feel so many times you, you know, you register for an event or you get into a book and you're like, wait a second, that's not really what I signed up for. So I love that tip. Yeah, um, it's kind of like if you're I was just going to say, if you're going to write a speech, for example, you know, the version of a landing page for that would be just, you know, coming like writing the description. So I'm in the midst of writing a new, a new talk right now on storytelling. And I've talked about storytelling before, but this is a slightly different take on it. And so I'm writing the description can just help me crystallize what it is that I'm going to deliver, you know, in the talk. So write that first, not the other way around. So, yeah, that's awesome. Um, another thing I saw in one of your recent newsletters was about your new cryptocurrency word. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd yes. love to hear, you know, this cryptocurrency in general is, I, I mean, it's been around for a little while now, but definitely a lot of momentum around it. Mm-hmm. Um, your creator coin is also something new that I haven't really heard of. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And then maybe your just your thoughts on cryptocurrency in general. Yeah, I mean, this is new to me too. So my thoughts are, are evolving. So I just want to caveat what, I'm, what I say just in, in those terms. But so yes, um, a couple of weeks ago, I launched my own cryptocurrency. It's called WordCoin, W-O-R-D. Um, and there's an there's like a dollar sign in front of word. So it, it comes like when you see it, it, it's written as it looks like sword, which I think is kind of a fun wordplay in terms of the pen is mightier than the sword. You know, it was kind of the adage. Um, and so I like that sort of wordplay about it. So that said, um, so the way it happened was that a company called Rally.io uh, approached me and asked me if I would be interested in sort of being part of their beta program to launch your own creator coin. Essentially what a creator coin is, it allows you to create a a sort of economy around your community. My friend, Jeremiah Aoyang, who is an advisor to Rally, uh, said to me, you know, if you have a a community, you can have an economy. And essentially what the word coin does and what creator coins in general do, it allows you to reward people who are part of your community it allows them to reward you with coins as well. So you can buy, you know, it's, you can buy coins on the, um, the rally.io site, you set up an, an account, you can buy and sell and, um, and trade coins with, with others there. It just becomes a, a way, like a way to build community more broadly is how I think about it. I haven't necessarily at this point, and this is why I say that I'm at the very beginning stages of this, I haven't integrated it into into a lot of what I do right now, but my plan is, you know, going forward, you'll start to see some of the integration of the word coin. So, you know, for example, it could be a situation where, um, you know, say that if I write a new book, for example, I could have uh, people in my community, maybe who, who buy word coins, like they get special privileges or they get special VIP opportunities. Um, it could be that I offer somebody a word coin when I see some amazing marketing that they that they do or some amazing writing as a way to sort of tip them, so to speak. Um, it could be something like if I'm going to be on a podcast like this, I say, you know, I ask people to buy some some word coin. It's a way to to appreciate and reward the creator, number one. 
But then secondly, it's also a way for the creator to, you know, to reward others who are supporting him or her um, in their in their process. So I think it's a it's an extension of what we're hearing a lot about recently, which is the creator economy, right? How do you actually reward creators for the work that they do and how do you empower them to then, you know, create communities around their own work that doesn't involve perhaps, you know, some of the big social platforms, which has been like their only way of sort of monetizing what they're, what one of the big ways of monetizing what they're doing. So I'm at the very beginning stages of this, like I said, but that's just, you know, in broadly, um, you know, the, the sky's the limit, really. I've seen, I've seen lots of people do interesting things. Um, my friend David Berkowitz has a, has his own coin, the CMO coin. And what he's doing is, uh, or one of the things he's doing is that he's rewarding people with CMO coins for newsletter referrals. So you refer his, his newsletter X number of times and he'll send you like a couple of his own coins. So, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of different ways to, to think about it. Um, but it's a really, I just think it's a really interesting and, and fun thing to do. I'm very much at the experimental end of it right now, but yeah, I'm really excited about it. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so one more question, then we've got some kind of rapid fire questions. Uh, so you built and sold your first company uh, mm -hmm. in about three years. I mean, that's incredible. Congratulations. Um, what What would you say the biggest thing you learned was the biggest thing you mm. learned through that experience? Yeah, those were crazy times. I mean, that that three year um, that three year journey was. Uh, 1997 to 2000. So that was a lifetime ago. Um, so the, the, the timing is, is key. Um, trusting yourself in terms of when it's the opportunity to move and, and when it's not. Um, so my first company that you just talked about is ClickZ. ClickZ was a, or is a, um, I just thought of something I was going to tell you about. I'll tell you about that in a second. Um, ClickZ is a uh, is a or it was one of the first sources. It still is a source, but it was one of the first sources of online marketing information. And so, at a time when we, when the internet was happening, it was starting to become increasingly commercial. In 1997, we saw this opportunity to advise advise businesses on how can you actually embrace this opportunity. How can you figure out how to use the World Wide Web to market your business, which sounds so elemental now and so crazy, but at the time there was very little information out there. So we started as um, as a as a website and eventually moved into email. The story that I was going to tell you, uh, just as an aside, was this was a slide I took out of the presentation. It was one of those twenty slides that I removed that I was so proud of myself for removing. But when I was talking in our in our presentation the other day about how I. I thought about email and the evolution of email marketing. I, I had a screenshot of when at Clixy we introduced our email marketing column. And the setup for it is hilarious because it's I'm talking about how email is increasingly important to businesses and how it becomes the cornerstone of your digital marketing efforts. Although at the time I called it internet marketing efforts because, you know, yeah. 1999. <laughs> and it was 1999. And I was thinking, oh my God, I have wow. that exact same mindset right now. And so it was really funny because it was like November of 1999. I was like, is that a real year? I don't even remember that year. Was that a year? <laughs> was that a I, thing? 
I really want to see these 20 slides you cut out now. <laughs> I'll to send do them that to you. as a yeah. bonus. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I know, yeah. Bonus, <laughs> bonus content. Oh, man. I could, yeah. You know what I should do? I should sell those bonus, those, that bonus content for WordCoin. Like, send me some WordCoin. Yeah. I'll send you the 20 slides. That's a really funny idea. Um, anyway. <laughs> I love it. I'll, I'll yeah, send them over. Yeah, it's very hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Rapid fire questions. All right. Let's um, do it. What is... What is one marketing trend you would unsubscribe from? Oh my gosh, robo DMs on social platforms still happening, still annoying. I don't even understand why. All right, second one, because I, I know this is rapid fire, but the second one I can't stand is, I don't know how we're still opting people who have not opted into your email newsletter or your email marketing. Why I still get outreach from brands who have just added me to a list willy nilly, I don't know really annoying yeah. yeah i'm i i'm with you on both of those um yeah. i know the answer to this one already but is email dead <laughs> heck no uh what do you do for fun oh my goodness uh geez so much i am a big outdoors person i love being outdoors uh one of my mantras throughout the pandemic actually it started before but i definitely leaned into it during the pandemic is one hour outside every day no matter the weather so sub-zero or snow like we have today in boston outside one hour every day it just clears my mind it just fills my heart it just makes me a better person um second thing is uh i love being in maine i have a place there it's my most favorite place on the planet so spending time there with you know my family and just being on the beach is so incredibly important to me and then the third thing is my little dog, um, August, who <laughs> you saw I before. Saw, we, I saw yesterday. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm a massive animal person, dog person, and um, and my new little pup is just such a wonderful little creature. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I took up cross-country skiing this year just mm. to, you know, I'm in Canada, so cold winters, but good way to, to get outside. Um who is one person in the business community that you admire and why? Mm, um, it's a little cliche, but I really do admire Seth Godin. I think he's built such an incredible brand and is always challenging himself in new ways. So those are the two reasons why I admire him. There are lots of people who I think are doing interesting work, but Seth is always taking risks in what he does. And he's always, you know, trying new things, new platforms. And I, I really, you know, admire that a lot. Um, nice. So yeah, I guess he would be my person. What's, uh, what's one piece of career advice that you'd like to share that might help others? Oh man, just like step on stage. You know, we started this conversation today talking about how I waited so long to step on stage. And I mean that metaphorically, sharing your ideas, sharing your thoughts, even if it feels uncomfortable and makes you feel vulnerable, you know, just do it. I think it's so important to get into that practice and get into that habit, even if you feel like no one's reading it but your mom, like that's okay. Become a, a, a more um, consistent content creator, I think, can help your career in marketing so much. So step on the stage in that way, but also literally step onto stages, you know, raise your hand to speak, especially women, I find, are just not as, as readily able to embrace being on stage. And so, you know, I, I try to encourage, um, you know, not just women, you know, both men and women, but um, but. I try to encourage just, you know, be a creator, share your thoughts, share your ideas. I think it's so important if you're in marketing 
your ability to communicate in a way that will that will attract others to you is just enormously helpful. That's awesome. And yeah, and I think you're you are an inspiration for for many on that uh, record. Uh, last one, who else should we interview on the unsubscribe podcast? Oh, man, that's fun. Um, who should you interview? Have you talked to Andrew Davis? Do you know Andrew? No. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, I would say interview him. He's got um, a a video series that he does on YouTube, but he also that has a strong email component to it. It's basically how he spreads the word about his um, about his weekly video series. Uh, an amazing content creator, great speaker, great friend, just all around, just one hundred percent, such a great human. Awesome. Um, well, Anne, thank you so much. It's been uh, it's yeah, been incredible working with you over the past month on the event and having you on again today. Yeah, um, thank you so much. Yeah, I always learn so much, whether it's through your books or hearing you on stage and now on the podcast. So thank you for being part of this and oh, thank you have so a much. great yeah, rest of fun. your day. All right, we'll talk soon. All right, Anne. Have a good one. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Unsubscribed, a podcast created by Knack. If you enjoyed this episode of Unsubscribed, be sure to subscribe to my podcast and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. If you have any feedback or want to chat, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or follow me on Twitter at marketing underscore 101. Cheers.